that's my biggest advice for anyone who wants to start a business is start with the life that you want to live mm-hmm. first. You know, what role do you want work to play in it? And then mm-hmm. figure out what's the right business that makes sense for you to start based on that. Hey everyone, welcome to Well That Was Unexpected. I'm your host, Carla Isabel Carstens, but you can call me Carla. I'm a luxury fashion publicist turned marketing consultant and a creative industry career coach. I've helped my clients pivot from finance to fashion, fashion to tech, get jobs with brands and companies like Louis Vuitton, Michael Kors, Saks Fifth Avenue, and Estee Lauder, land speaking gigs at South by Southwest, and so much more. If you can't tell, I believe that life's too short to do just one thing. I'll help you transform your what ifs into what's next. With new episodes launching every Thursday, each episode is designed to make you both laugh and inspire the confidence within you to expand the possibilities for your own life. They'll feature conversations with guests who've made real, raw, and inspiring career and lifestyle pivots that will make you think, what? How did they do that? But once you listen to their stories, sharing exactly how they made things happen, you'll realize just how possible it is for you to make a similar change, no trust fund required. Hey y'all, welcome back. Lulu G is joining us today. She left the corporate life working as a management consultant and handling change and transformation at a large luxury retailer to focus on building her business, Elix, a company that delivers customized Chinese herbal remedies to ease women's hormonal health issues. We chat about how her quest to remedy her debilitating PMS led her to launch a business, figuring out if business school's for you, the reason why you may be getting passed up for that promotion, how entrepreneurship provides more stability than a corporate career, what isn't normal to experience before and during your period, and how to fund your business idea. As you all probably know, I'm giving away a free 30-minute coaching call every week throughout the month of May. To enter, all you have to do is leave a review for this podcast on Apple. Natalie A99, you're this week's winner. Thanks so much for your lovely review. I really appreciate it. Now, on to the episode. Hi, Lulu. Thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Hi, Carla. So excited to chat. Yay. So for my listeners, this has been like a college tour for me through with all my friends from college. Lulu and I actually, like some of my guests I've had on in the past, met at UCSD and we were in the same sorority, Delta Gamma. <laughs> Go DGs. Yay. Um, and, you know, we both ended up going to New York, kept in touch had some good times. And when I decided to integrate interviews into this podcast, she clearly was a great fit, which we will get into. So again, Lulu, I really appreciate your time. I know you have an event today. So thank you. Carla, you've just been the best hype girl over the years. So (laughs) I am so excited to be here and to chat and so grateful for all of your support. Of course, anything for you, Lulu. You know, prior to Elix, which we will talk about in length, you had what people would call a traditional career, a traditional corporate career to be exact. You know, you graduated from college, you became a management consultant, then you went back and got your master's at Wharton, how incredible, and then went on to to handle change and transformation at a very well-known luxury retailer. What made you pursue this path? You know, I think growing up as a first-generation American and with immigrant parents, I always had this view that being successful is about 
having, you know, the right degrees and then going into these big, stable corporations. And this corporate path is really the path that we should all be on to make lots of money and to be able to buy the things and live the life that is the American dream. And I think it took some time getting there and working crazy hours to realize like, wait, is that actually my dream? Or was that the dream that my parents had for themselves that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't achieve? And so it's been a path, I guess, to figure out, you know, what actually is the career and is how we spend our day to day that's exciting and energizing for me. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting when I think about it, you know, as a career coach, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of clients who are still in college or, you know, recently graduated. And now looking back, this notion that you're supposed to know what you want to do with your life at that age just feels ridiculous because things change so drastically in totally. life. And how do I, how do we make that decision, you know, and stick to it? Like, I, I know I thought I was going to be a doctor, both my parents are doctors and it felt like the right thing to do. And I couldn't have done anything more different than that. It's, it's really crazy to think about. So having gone from what we in society and a lot of the adults went at our age, you know, so our parents consider stability, what inspired you to create and launch Elix? Oh my gosh. My my to Alex was super personal. And I guess before I talk about that, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. There's so much pressure on us, like to know what we want to do with our lives. And the reality is like, we're all going to live statistically really long lives, like much longer than previous generations. So we can actually have multiple careers. And that's what I think is like a beautiful and a great thing. And so when I talk to people who are like younger, just coming out of school or in their first or second job, and they're like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. You actually don't have to figure out what you want to do with your life. It's just about what gives you energy today and what's that next step that you want to take. Because I feel like even though I look back now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was burning the midnight oil and I'm working like 80 hour weeks and I didn't have to, but all of that experience in consulting, in luxury retailing is what I think enables me to be an effective founder and CEO for Elix. And, you know, to answer your question, I was at this luxury retailer, which was my dream job. So I was in consulting, hating it, totally burnt out, you know, like traveling to like random places when I was paying crazy New York City rent, but not spending time in New York City because of my job. And so I got a call one day from this recruiter of a luxury retailer, and it sounded like my dream job, you know, to go in-house, to have like crazy discounts, you know, to all the brands, like the Chanel, the Celine, like, yeah, discounts, like to buy everything I could possibly want for my wardrobe at like 30 to 80% off, shop exclusive sample sales, like, you know, sign me up. Forget a 401k. I'm in. Right. <laughs> that was what was important. This 27-year-old Lulu was Hell like, yeah. oh my God. I could go to the party and buy the wardrobe. Amazing. <laughs> and so I did that for a couple years and I didn't even realize that I had all these like hormonal imbalances and other issues because I was, I was sleeping late if I could even fall asleep because I was so stressed out about work. My brain was always ruminating about my to-dos, about things I didn't get done or like waking up in the middle of the night or waking up too early in a panic. I often skip breakfast because I would rush into the office because I, I didn't have time to eat. Or when I did eat, I had an iced coffee, which really isn't breakfast. <laughs> I'm like, and- wait. and you know like all of and and I was working like late nights I wasn't getting the sleep and then it was like this work hard play hard where I would then let off steam on the weekends and all of the ways that I was abusing my body and my health quite frankly manifested itself in my period you know I got married a couple years into this role and 
I mean, my hormones were so out of whack that my period actually surprised me on my wedding day because there's this huge connection between stress, inflammation, hormonal imbalance, and period surprises. Like it was wild. My bridesmaids were literally dabbing blood off the back of my wedding dress during cocktail hour because of oh like all of these like imbalances. Yeah. Like think about how much time you spend planning the perfect wedding and to have that happen. And that wasn't the only thing. Like I had like horrendous like migraines and bloating and cramps and hormonal acne. I remember I had like cystic acne all over my chin and forehead, which is totally hormonal. And I went back to my gynecologist and her only solution was to kind of put me back on birth control or like a different form of the pill. And I, at that point I was married and I was like, you know, I've hated being on birth control for 16 years. I think birth control has done amazing things for womanhood, but it should not be like the only solution when it Mm -hmm. comes to our hormone health. That's like literally not what it was invented for. It was invented to prevent unwanted pregnancies. (laughs) And so, you know, long story short, that's actually how my, I found my way back to Chinese herbal medicine and saw how incredible it is at healing at the root cause of symptoms. And Mm -hmm. it provides so many wonderful ways for us to really get in tune with our body and recognize that any type of symptoms that come up is actually feedback from our body on what it needs from us. Wow. So how did you, was it through like your heritage that you were introduced to Chinese medicine? How did that come into the picture? For me, it was when modern medicine was not enough with my chronic fatigue. And it was very interesting. My parents both being doctors, you would make, some could make the massive assumption that they would stick to this path of Western medicine, but there's only so many options, right? So that's when I started leaning on, you know, Eastern medicine. And it's been fantastic for managing my chronic fatigue. So how did that come into your life? Yeah, I mean, Carla, you bring up such a great point in that, you know, I think it's not either Eastern medicine or Western or modern. I think it's mm-hmm. it's both. And unfortunately, we live in a society today where women's health and menstrual and hormone health has been so dramatically underfunded. Like only 4% of healthcare research and development dollars goes to women's health. 4%. Whereas like we're like half the population. And within that 4%, the majority of the money goes to like fertility and breast cancer rather than the stuff that we actually experience every day. And I I mean, I could talk your ear off about like why the current system is the way it is, but, Mm -hmm. and and that's why, like when you and I go to our gynecologist, they're really limited in the solutions Mm -hmm. that they have to offer us. It's like, you know, birth control, painkillers, antidepressants, or do you want to remove your uterus? It's like, oh, you know, ABC, otherwise you're shit out of luck. I mean, it's, it is such a narrow pathway for us to solve these, you know, to remedy these issues, I should say, because sadly, you can't necessarily solve all of them. But so when I I did, of course, my own research, because that's what we do over here. (laughs) And I was reading that, you know, you had met with this Chinese doctor, told him your symptoms, you had shared this very detailed medical history, And he had given you a prescription of herbs that you should purchase, boil, and then drink before your next cycle. So this was how the product was, was born. Yes. So to your earlier question, my grandfather actually ran a hospital in Hunan. Oh, wow. It was the hospital I was born in. So I grew up with, you know, my grandma putting ginseng and goji berries in bone broth and making like these super fruit tonics whenever I had allergies or a cold. We never had any type of over the counter stuff in our house. It was, there was always like a natural, like, food or herb as thy medicine that we could consume to naturally heal ourselves. And so when I had all these period issues, of course, my mom told my grandfather, my like 91 year old grandfather, like <laughs> about my period and how, I Perfect. Yeah, and how I was starting to call in sick to work. And she was really worried that I wasn't taking care of myself. Like, 
good moms do. And so my grandfather actually connected me with one of now Alexa's first advisors, Dr. Xia Hongshen, who's written over 100 papers and 45 books on herbal medicine for women's health. And you're absolutely right. It's like anyone who's ever seen an acupuncturist or herbalist, you know, they ask so many detailed questions Mm -hmm. about not even just your symptoms, but like the level of stress in your daily life, your sleep, your digestive health, your, 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 the color of your urine, the color of your menstrual blood, because in Mm -hmm. Chinese medicine, anything that comes out of your body is a reflection of what's happening in your body. And And Chinese medicine uses this concept called pattern diagnosis, like based on your particular pattern of symptoms, there's an underlying root cause. And then there's a group of herbs that over, you know, hundreds of thousands of years that have been proven to help bring your body back into balance. It's a much more gentle approach of working with your body to heal Mm -hmm. the symptoms. I always love when I go into acupuncture when they ask you to stick out your tongue. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm always nervous. I, I'm, I always practice it with like, I, it's been a few hours since I brushed my teeth. Like, or I, I just had like something, I just ate something weird. So if my tongue's a weird color, it's like, I feel like I'm taking a test, but I'm, I'm fascinated that they're able to like make not that di- I don't want to use the word diagnose, but they're able to see what's going mm-hmm. on beyond what I'm yeah. verbally sharing with them. based off of what they're seeing on my tongue or like, I think it was the patterns or something or the colors. I can't remember, but so. And that's actually the last step of the online health assessment. So we basically, yeah, you take a picture of your tongue and you upload it. I love that. Yeah. And we actually do, we just did one yesterday. We do IG lives with our medical advisor where people could hop on and get their tongue read. And like you can learn. I'm doing that. You can learn to read your own tongue too. We have like so many blogs on this. I find it fascinating. My pro tip, like how I know I'm like really stressed, but not stressed because of to do's, but stressed because of like emotional imbalances or like I'm frustrated about something and I'm just like bearing it is like the tip of your tongue relates to your heart organ. And so whenever the tip of your tongue is super red, you've got to ask yourself, Like, what are the emotional frustrations that you're holding in and not expressing a result? Oh my gosh, I'm going to totally look at my tongue after this. (laughs) I'm so curious. So, you know, you you went ahead and tried these herbs out, you know, after boiling and and everything and it and it worked for you. And I was, you know, read and, you know, you were, I was told by you, of course, that you were, you were shocked. And so it started the conversation of talking about your period at work, which isn't, I don't want to say the norm because it's not taboo, but, you know, knowing you for so long, you calling out to work for your period is, you know, you're somebody who tends to power through you and I are both like that, like grin and bear it. And how, how, how did that conversation play out internally? Honestly, there was so much, I think, self-hate and shame and embarrassment. Like when my periods were so awful that I was like laying on the bathroom floor and I couldn't move, like to have to, you know, miss out on a board meeting or miss out on a presentation or like even missing out on like plans with friends or something. It just like, it felt so not like me and not like how Mm -hmm. I wanted to be living my life. And I never, I didn't want to be like one of those women, you know, and I think that kind of goes to what is stigmatized in society today is how we actually listen to our symptoms and figure out what our body needs and how we can sustainably heal versus just like mask it, you know, like, you know, shove it like down, not Mm -hmm. pay attention to it. And then to your point, power through. Yeah. It's like, it's so interesting. You get stuck on this hamster wheel of, I'm just going to take some Tylenol and, you know, it'll be, it'll be fine fine, fine. We're always saying, I'm fine. And what you fail to, to realize the next month is that that Tylenol didn't exactly work, but it, so you're not actually doing anything to address, you know, right. the pain you're going through. And right. 
I know. I, I, I think it's great that you were confident and emboldened to speak to this with your colleagues, you know, because you were at a luxury retailer and I'm going to make the assumption that a majority of your colleagues were female and likely similar to you in being yeah. extremely ambitious, wanting to, you know, exude this idea of being strong and capable yeah. career women and being equal to that of any of your male counterparts who don't have to okay. have to deal with this type of pain or, you know, like the bloating or headaches. Oh, of course. Yeah. The migraines, yeah, you know. Especially, I think, when you're working in luxury or you're mm-hmm. working in PR, you're working in these industries where there's a pressure to look a certain way and like you've got it together because mm-hmm. that's what the brand is selling, right? Yeah. So there's this like, there's this pressure of perfectionism. And especially for women climbing the corporate ladder to be, you know, twice as good as their mm-hmm. male counterparts. I think that's what really holds us back from, to your point, actually dealing with our symptoms and doing things that are sustainable for ourselves. Because back to your Tylenol example, like I was taking Tylenol and it wasn't, you know, it's like you start off at like two pills and then it doesn't work. (laughs) And then you go to like four pills and then you're back. Preemptively, you know, like we had an Elix community member write in saying that she was downing like one to two bottles of Motrin a week every month on her period. And that was the first thing that helped her wean back. And like, you think about all of our digestive health issues, like Mm painkillers are linked to, you know, all these issues with like our gut lining. And so it's all kind of like connected when we just use these Band-Aid solutions, they actually create Mm -hmm. other issues in our body. And then it becomes so hard to untangle these chronic issues. Totally. You know, it, it, it really makes me start thinking also that as a society, it's become so normalized to even take it a step further, frankly, than Tylenol. Like, totally. I'm, I'm going to say it, a Xanax mm-hmm. or a Percocet, you know? Mm-hmm. And is that really addressing the issue? No, but it's almost numbing you out in a way. And, and it, you know, those, those medications are great when they're in, used as intended. I, I truly, truly believe in them and their efficacy, but they weren't designed to help you, quote unquote, to power through your period, you know? And, you know, so to take a bit of a, we're going to pause on Elix for a second, because that happened. And you discovered this while you were still at your corporate career. But then you decided to go to business school. Mm -hmm. And business school is something that I had always personally wanted to do as somebody who really loves entrepreneurship and I, 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 to be frank, my, my brother went to to business school and he looked like he was having a ton of fun. And, you know, so both in topic and in fun factor, it was something I was very curious about. So I've also seen this trend that it's a popular choice for people in their mid to late twenties to, I don't want to say default, but to put, to, to put business school as a maybe in their path. What was your thought process behind going to business school, especially since you had already gotten a master's in organizational psychology? And who would you recommend actually attend business school now that you've gone through it? Yeah, I mean, great questions, Carla. Honestly, I missed the boat on going to business school in the traditional sense of mm-hmm. like when you're in your late 20s. Like I was in a place where I loved my career, I was growing, I was engaged. And then when I had all these health issues, I and I started meditating more, going to yoga, I started taking classes on herbalism and how I can live just like more holistically. That's when I realized that my dream job and the career choices I made, that's not actually how I want to live 
my life anymore. And Mm -hmm. so I, it was like in my early thirties that I started feeling like the quarter life crisis and just, you know, (laughs) wondering for myself, like, well, if this was always what I wanted to do, and now this isn't what I want to do, like what's next for me. And I didn't Mm -hmm. know, and I didn't have the answers. And I think business school is a great place to go when you feel like kind of lost, but you're a super ambitious person. And it's like a, you kind of buy time, but like on paper still look very productive and like you're achieving. (laughs) And I think you're absolutely right. Majority of what I got out of business school wasn't necessarily the concepts taught in class. Like, did I learn new things about financial modeling that I didn't know before, like Mm -hmm. coming up with different strategies? Like, yes, absolutely. There was like textbook stuff I learned, but the majority of what I got out of business school were like the friendships, the like international travel, the connections to investors, my professors. Like, I don't, I just think it was such a great place to incubate and to come up with how I could bring something like Elix to life. Mm-hmm. Like, so I didn't know did- when I was going into it if I okay. would be coming out like with a business or if I'd be coming out, like realizing that starting a business is not for me and that, but I would find my next corporate thing. Like I had no idea. Okay. No. So I was literally just about to ask you if you decided to pursue this path with the intention of figuring out if Elix, you know, was going to be something that you build or, you know, it sounds like you were quite open in terms Mm -hmm. of your path. Did you ever think that you'd become an entrepreneur when you were younger? You know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm just always impressed by people who have been on a corporate path for a while and then they pivot to entrepreneurship because as I mentioned before, we're taught corporate life facilitates this idea of structure and stability, whereas entrepreneurship is... Yeah, exact opposite. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, growing up, my parents as immigrants, they were entrepreneurs because they had to be. They didn't have any other choice because of language, of culture. Okay. Like they felt like they couldn't make it in corporate America. And so they had to start their own business. And so I... And me seeing how much of themselves and their lives they dedicated to their work, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. I thought that the safe path was to go on a corporate career, you know, nine to five, although no one ever works nine to five or like I never work nine to five. (laughs) No one does at any point. Like I, I, I don't think I've met anyone in New York who has an actual nine to five beyond an executive assistant. And even a, a few of them don't. True. Yeah, totally. Like my assistant, I love her so much. She's like checking email like late at night and early morning. It's like, it's amazing. But, you know, so I I think like we associate corporate life and a job with stability. And so much of the work that I was doing and consulting like strategy and change was looking at how a company's strategy was outdated or they needed to develop like new products, new market. They basically had to transform the way that they were working so that they would continue to be relevant. And as mm-hmm. part of that transformation, it often means a new talent strategy. Like the people Ooh. that they have today weren't necessarily the people that they needed for the future. And we know some people are adaptable and they can grow and they can shift, but other people are not. And so I actually worked on these massive rear projects where we were like laying off like, you know, hundreds of people or like just shifting roles all over the place. And when I was at the luxury retailer, like in three and a half year period, I had seven different bosses. It was one. Oh my gosh. It was like Game of Thrones meets House of Cards. And I had some, <laughs> like, it was, it was nuts. And I had some of these bosses who were like dear mentors that I really looked up to who gave like everything to the company. And after like 20, 25 years, they would get laid off or, you know, we never call it a layoff. It's like so-and-so it was like transitioning out or, or leaving <laughs> to pursue other options. The other options, TBD. TBD. Not going to include them in this email. (laughs) And so I saw how like you could give your life to a corporation and then 
you know, like not, not know where that path and not really have control over where that path is actually going. And so it kind of like disrupted this assumption I had that corporate life equals stability. And I realized actually now being a founder and being an entrepreneur, it's actually more stable because the amount of time and energy I invest into building Elix, I actually see the direct impact of that on like improving lives of everyday people or or on changing our narrative of how we care for our health, or on getting content and education out there into the world. And to me, like that's a much more energizing way of working when I can see that direct output of my work versus mm-hmm. spending my time spinning my wheels and playing like the political game, you know? Yeah, it is so true that, you know, it, it, it's it's a great thing about entrepreneurship, but also can be the exhausting part that Every day you wake up and you have, you know, there's a, quite a few things that you can do that day to help build and grow your business. And, you know, whether you're staying on top of sending an email every week or actually posting on Instagram or making a reel or TikTok, it, you notice the difference when you're actually putting in that effort. And I think something that's important to also note is when you have that consistency, also seeing the effectiveness and when it's not effective, going back and readjusting like the content or the strategy. And you're really in the driver's seat. And it's it's really interesting, but also that does make it sometimes hard to, 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 to disconnect, if you will, because there's Technically something you can always be doing, but that's all about oh. boundaries and a whole other story. So <laughs> I'm like, that's maybe that's another. Part two of this combo will be about yeah. how you set boundaries as an entrepreneur. Set boundaries and actually follow them. Brought to you live by Carla and Lulu. So, you know, you were mentioning that you were playing a role in figuring out restructuring or, you know, outsourcing, automating and evaluating talent. Did you notice any trends in the people who were kept as part of the teams versus who was asked to leave? (laughs) Yeah, honestly, the people who were often kept and people who are often promoted in corporations are the people who do a great job managing up and selling themselves. It's like they spend half the time doing the work and the other half of the time making sure everyone knows the work that they are doing. And so when you take a step back and think about it, it's actually sometimes the people who do the least amount of work who survive the layoffs and get promoted. And you're like, how did that happen? And time and time again... I'm going to generalize here because this breaks my heart and quite frankly, pisses me off. But time and time again, they are more likely to be the white men who are great at selling themselves and managing up versus the women or the people of color who are just like heads down, you know, raised by good families, told that if I work hard, I will get rewarded. So I'm just going to like keep my head down and I'm going to mm-hmm. like, you know, continue typing away and do my work and hope that my work gets noticed. And what oh. I want anyone listening to walk away from is you actually have to make sure that your work gets noticed. Like half of your job the bigger the company, the more this matters, is making sure that one, you are doing the right work. So that's aligning with your manager on what does success look like? How is, you know, what are my KPIs? How does my role gets measured? And being proactive, set up those skip levels, you know, like reach out to like your boss's boss or your boss's boss's boss. People love connecting with like a young, ambitious person and just say like, I love to have you as a mentor. I love a coffee chat. I love to know what's top of mind for you, how I can support. Like those are the things, if you're not selling and advocating for yourself, you're going to get overlooked. And these are the ways that you actually, if you want to make a career at a big company that you move up. 
Yeah, that really reminds me of a conversation I had with Patrice, who was on my podcast. I think she was my first guest, actually. She and I met because we I replaced her at a job. And she had mentioned something very similar, the key to the success of her career. So definitely check that podcast out, guys. But, you know, something I was thinking about after her mentioning this, and there's this common thread that that's extended to you and myself. It's this, I, I feel that it's this immigrant mentality that if you work hard and you do the work, you do it well, and that's your clear focus, it's going to be rewarded. And so many are people that I speak to and myself experience this. You see firsthand that that just is not the case at all. I actually invented this phrase, I think when I was like 32, when I really realized this and I called it personal PR. Mm, <laughs> it was when I it. was a publicist. Love it. That, because I realized one day that I didn't have full visibility to how hard my team was working. And, you know, I, I was doing performance reviews and it just kind of fell out of my mouth. I was like, you should not feel embarrassed or ashamed to let me know of a win that you had. Even, you know, your, you know, as a specific example, my assistant's main role was to ensure that samples made it in time to photo shoots. And sometimes that means the most insane logistical planning, getting a sample yeah. from Europe to LA in a day and a half. I'm not aware of those logistics. My job as the senior level person on the team is to ensure that we're just getting these placements, like we're getting the opportunities to be included, right? The handoff is there. So I don't see the insanity this person will go through. And sometimes they pull off incredible things. And there's a fine line between being humble and being braggadocious. And, yeah. but I want to reward my team. And so that's when I also myself realized, what am I doing as a senior level leader to ensure that the owner of this business knows that mm -hmm. I'm fostering talent and that I'm making connections? Like that's not mm -hmm. her problem to, to, to just be aware of that. Like she's in her office worried about her own shit. So yeah. it's, you know, it's, then you kind of go into this toxic girl boss, cult, like hustle culture that is yeah. really firmly rooted in entrepreneurship and even being an employee. And in, it, it somewhat implies being harsh and merciless, merciless at this point. It's like a, a get to the top, no matter what it takes attitude. And mm -hmm. It, you know, that's not always the case. I've worked with so many lovely people, but mm -hmm. is that something like you've experienced or, or, you know, I know your culture is very different, but in, but I mean, company culture, of course, but what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think there's this media portrayal that success is working hard at all costs and it's neglecting like our, quite frankly, ourselves and our own needs for the sake of work. And what I've actually seen for myself and for my team, and, you know, this has come with years of work and coaching. I will just say PSA coaching is one of the best investments yes. you can make in yourself so that you can identify your own patterns see your blind spots and then figure out ways for it. And so at Elix, we actually give every single member of our team one-on-one -on -one executive coaching because I think it is, yeah, it's a huge investment for a company and like a startup of our size. It's very but expensive. Good it's coaching. very expensive, but I firmly believe in it because I think, you know, as a founder, I have a responsibility to continue to be aware of my own blind spots. And also I'm I 
my intention is that as part of building Elix, yes, we have great impact on the world, but that every member of the team also has an opportunity to grow and develop themselves as human beings. And Mm -hmm. part of my own work with coaching is recognizing like how I identify, how I correlated success with self-sacrifice. Whereas like when I run experiments of, you know, having more firm boundaries on screen time, And, you know, going for runs in the morning, soaking up vitamin D, being militant about my sleep schedule, like being militant about what I eat and put into my body. I actually have so much more energy, positivity, creativity. And so I can actually work less hours, but get better results because I'm just making better decisions. And so at Alix, like I never want our culture to be rewarding the people who work the most. If someone's working crazy hours, I actually want to sit down and understand like what, what all are we doing and spending time on? Like where are there admin things that we can automate? Where are there things that are nice to haves that are not must haves? And we mm-hmm. we're trying to, you know, we're a startup. So nothing is perfect and everything is always going mm-hmm. to feel uncomfortable because every three to four months, we're like a whole, we're growing up. We're a whole <laughs> different organization as we grow. Yeah. So, you know, there's always going to be discomfort, but as much as possible, we're trying to get better on just like ruthless prioritization because chances are, and I look back at like my, you know, 20 something year old self, like there were things I was doing at like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night that like, I really didn't need to be doing, (laughs) but you know, sometimes it's like, it's our anxiety that keeps us Mm -hmm. working because it's almost like easier to just like continue to work than like sit still with our Mm -hmm. thoughts and our feelings you you want you want to see your boss sending that 9 p.m email you know and it's like the the person the boss that that impresses is I don't know I don't know we love dedication but dedication isn't displayed through sending an email at 9 p.m you know all right I I love how like slack lets you schedule messages for like 8 a.m 9 a.m I I try to do that more I love that because, and I remember I once I was, I was working at a startup and then the, I, I mentioned this to the founder because it was an international startup. So half the team was in the U S and, and the other half was elsewhere. And, you know, the time zones were drastically different and he interjected and he's like, but what if someone wants to be working at midnight or wants to work at six. And then, and I was like, well, I understand that, but that's different. Like there's a difference between answering an email at 6am or a Slack message at 6am because you want to, because you're making the decision to work from 6am till whatever, like whatever, you know, amount of hours you're working that day, but it's very different to start working at six and then end work at 8pm. Totally. It's so we just have to, you know, not only do you want to be respectful to yourself, but you want to be respectful to others because you want to show people and train people how to treat you. Frankly, they can't read your mind. So back to Elix, you graduate from biz school. I'm, did you, is that when you decided, okay, this is a thing. So we actually ran a series of experiments when I was in business school. And that was the most beautiful part, I think, about going into business school with an idea. All my classmates are like incredibly brilliant, intelligent Mm -hmm. people and experts in different areas. And so Elix was almost like the class project in every single one of my classes. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I, I almost have like a free team of like really amazing, smart people working on it. But, you know, first we wanted to see like, so the way Elix works is we're building really that first platform and community that's personalizing organic Chinese herbal medicine online in order to personalize and bring that experience of seeing an acupuncturist or herbalist online, you have to answer a lot of questions and there are questions that you don't get asked every day. And so we ran an experiment of like, what are all the questions an herbal medicine practitioner would ask? And then we tested it. We had like 2000 people complete this, the, you know, prototype of the health assessment Mm -hmm. and like get their feedback. And then we, 
you know, like so many people told me, Carla, no one's ever going to complete this quiz. It's like super long. But what we found was that people actually love the experience of answering the questions because it helped them tune into their bodies in a new way. And you guys can visit elixhealing.com to take our quiz today. But we asked things like, what's the color of your menstrual blood? You know, what's the size of your clots, like the color of your urine, mm-hmm. these things you've never been asked. And then we ran a prototype on the formula. We wanted to make sure it worked. We had great feedback in beta, like 93% experience and improvement in pain or symptoms within the first three months. So that gave us a lot of confidence to actually launch the product. And for me, it gave me confidence to actually leave my, you know, six-figure paying career to take the leap and try to start this full time. That's incredible. Actually, just I just realized, so I didn't go to business school. I, I got a degree in management, which is not business school. I always like to make pe- sure people like, I don't want to, I'm very proud of my management, my master's in management, but it is not business school. Like it, it's different. And I, for my final project, it was a group project, which I hate. If anyone follows me on Instagram, I post so many group project memes because I hate them so much and people send them to me all the time. But I helped this woman who had this incredible idea to for, for detection of endometriosis. And she emailed me about three or four months ago. And using our project, she got a ton of funding. Oh, that's great. I know. I'm so happy for her. And she got into this incredible accelerator. So I have to say, guys, take your group project seriously. Like you never know. Maybe I should have taken her up on that offer to work on it a bit more and take some equity. My bad. You go, Jessica, if you're listening. So the thing about starting a direct to consumer brand where you have to invest in inventory you know, it's pretty daunting, right? It it requires money because you have to have product to fund orders up front. And, you know, these factories and, you know, production facilities, they're, it's very rare that they're going to sell, sell you like five, right? Mm -hmm. So how did you financially work to get this off the ground? Because at the end of the day, you needed the product to start to sell. Yes. So I will share how I did it. And then I will share other ways that I think people can do it. Awesome. Uh, So I very much, you know, I had been working for many years. So I had savings and quite frankly, I put a lot of my savings both into business school and into starting Elix. And so for our pilot, I funded everything out of savings and 401k. And in retrospect, that was absolutely the right move because, you know, I think, I think when you're, and, and then I raised an angel round of capital before we raised our first more formal round of capital. And I think there are some businesses where you can go out and raise money on a pitch deck, you know, like basically if mm-hmm. you're using any like AI, ML, like NFT, whatever <laughs> acronym that is like trending at the time. But for most consumer products businesses and for most businesses that are started in underfunded and stigmatized areas, you know, there's a reason why they're underfunded and overlooked because investors have a certain you know, prejudice or bias towards the category. And so I knew it was really important that we had traction first, which is why it was mm-hmm. so good to have that pilot and those results. I would, and that's kind of my advice for all founders of a consumer products. Like the barrier to entry today is so much lower than it was 10 years ago. Like anyone can spend a couple of hours and get their first website up. You know, you can figure out how mm-hmm. to pre-sell products and get some money in the door if what you're building is something that people really want. And it's like, well, if you can't get the dollars in from pre-sell, then, you know, maybe it's not as big of a problem or maybe it's not as amazing. You know, I I think that those early indications of like, are people willing to give you money for your prototypes is Mm -hmm. actually really telling about the potential of the business. Absolutely. I actually was on the phone with a founder yesterday who has an incredible product in the pet space that he's been working on 
And they're going that approach of, you know, using these funding websites to test if there's an actual yeah. market. I'm, I don't, it's not, I don't want to think it's not GoFundMe. I, I, I don't want to say there's the right. So one. many now. There's, there's so like many. Public Kickstarter. Like, I, I mean, Kickstarter. I, I think the barrier to entry is just so much lower. Like if you have, if you're a great storyteller and you're creating a compelling product in an area where there's need, like I mm-hmm. think you can find your people and you can get them to give you money to fund the first run or prototype before mm-hmm. you ever have to think about raising more money. And then Absolutely. you get that like market validation, the traction, which will make fundraising easier. Because what's happened in the past like five, 10 years, is a lot of you know when like the Warby Parker Allbirds like Sweet Greens of the world were starting a lot of investors who traditionally venture capitalists who traditionally invested in technology and software as a service companies saw consumer companies starting to rise and they thought oh maybe we should diversify and invest in consumer but a lot of these software investors knew nothing about consumer and they applied software expectations to consumer, which was like, grow, grow, grow. But when you're dealing with physical products, they can't scale at the same rate. And so a lot of these investors have gotten burned over the past five, 10 years. And so it's actually harder to raise venture dollars for consumers, companies, and just with what's going on in the macro world, think investors want to see profitability or profitable, sustainable growth earlier. So I think whereas like, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, it was easier to raise earlier. Now people are asking for a lot more proof points and traction. So I think the further along you can get on your own, the better, quite frankly. This has been like actually very helpful. I've learned a lot from this single question, but I, I, I do want to say one thing for my lovely, beautiful listeners, you know, starting a business, not every business needs to be a billion dollar company. I have never, and and my parents get annoyed when I say this because they love me and they see my potential and I don't disagree with them, but I have never had aspirations to have 50 employees, a crazy office, and, and have this incredible company that is, you know, available and available in mass, if you will. Do I think I could do it? Absolutely. But I don't want to. And yeah. I love my, I call them my baby businesses. I started my Amazon business with $250. But keep in mind, I'm selling paper goods, which is significantly less expensive than a beautiful elixir in a fantastically packaged bottle. Like I'm not providing a brand experience. I'm selling on Amazon. I'm selling banners that say it's my birthday mother puppers. Like I have simplified the, the packaging to where it's better than a lot of what you get, but it didn't require an intensive amount of capital. And I had, I've learned so much and Something that bummed me out is that people think that every business idea needs to be massive and it just doesn't. It, you don't have yeah. to want that. Like I couldn't it, agree with you more. And sometimes like these massive businesses aren't actually the ones that are profitable for the founders because you end up yeah. giving away so much of your business. And I think that's like my biggest advice for anyone who wants to start a business is like start with like the life that you want to live mm-hmm. first you know, what role do you want work to play in it? And then mm-hmm. figure out what's the right business that makes sense for you to start based on that. That's so beautifully put. I can't, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> it's so true. And, and it, it, I didn't even realize that's how I was kind of yeah. doing these things for myself. Like I can run my Amazon business from anywhere in the world. I I get everything off of Alibaba. Like they design things for me and I've had my relationships with these Chinese suppliers for years. And I, you know, each banner. And you I live know. like a dream life, Carla. Thank like, you. You know, Thank Ibiza you. in the summer, Miami <laughs> in the winter, New York, whenever you feel like it. <laughs> Thank you. But you know, it's it really came from this idea that I just saw my fashion PR career chaining me to a desk and I didn't want that. And I knew that I also wanted, you know, financial freedom and, and I wanted to make passive income 
even though passive income is kind of not a real thing, like I still have to work on it. It's not like I just sit back and everything just happens. Yeah. Parts are automated, but you yeah. know, you mentioned Elix. It was really started to solve your own problems. And that resonated with me because all of the businesses I have started have solved a problem I was experiencing. Even my banners, the reason I came up with the idea was because I was, I've always been the person who is volunteered to plan people's bachelorettes, which I'm honored and I, I'm very happy to be perceived that way and, and entrusted with this. And I just was so tired of seeing all these crappy penis covered banners and crap. It's just not the vibe we were going for. Like no shade, anyone, no shade, penis away. But you, you also shared that you were shocked by how many of your colleagues were similarly experiencing period related issues and you had no idea. And we're not doctors here, but I know you're quite educated and done a lot of research on this topic. And you, you've even gone as far as conducting clinical trials to, you know, for your, your business. So what is common, but not normal when it comes to your menstrual cycle? Love this question. If you are calling in sick to work or you are canceling plans because your period is so painful, that is not normal. If you are not getting your period like clockwork every 21 to 35 days, like if you go months without a period, or if you haven't had your period in a year, or you get surprised by like two periods a month, that is not normal. You know, if you have clots the size of a golf ball, that is not normal. Like, you know, if if you are going through like a super tampon every hour for like, you know, five, six, seven days, that is not normal. Like there's all these things that we've been taught that periods are just horrible part of being a woman. Like all of this creates the, you know, it, 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 it prevents us from getting to the root cause of these issues. And one thing that Chinese medicine has taught me is that our periods are actually a report card for our overall health. So if you're experiencing any of this, it could be signs of inflammation, it could be signs of hormonal imbalance, and it could be related to the fatigue that you feel when you're not on your period, the issues with sleep, the issues with appetite, weight gain, weight loss, migraines, I mean, like your brain fog, all of this could be tied back to your hormone health, which then is manifested in how you feel on your period. So like, actually, if you focus on healing your period and your hormones, we say you could feel your best every day of your cycle. And that's not and it's something that we want Adelix to start more conversations around, like how you can use diet, nourishment, and herbs to really support bringing your body back to balance. You just blew my mind. If if you're not watching this on video, my my jaw dropped. <laughs> it's you know I I had a, a conversation with my accurate acupuncturist many 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 moons ago, and we were talking about how people just normalize feeling shitty because they're just so used to feeling shitty that yes. they don't think anything's wrong. Yes. Like you just become like, this is part of my day or this more specifically, this is part of my period. Like it just is what it is. And mm -hmm. it, it's just so sad to hear. And, and then when they do seek, you know, treatment for, it might even be something else. Like for me, I went to acupuncture. You're like, wait, this is, this, I feel different. And by different, I mean, I feel really good. You right. know, like I didn't yeah. know that this is possible. Oh, we get these stories every single day. Like, oh my God, I didn't know that it was possible to not be bedridden on my period. I didn't know that it was possible to actually like go and like work out and like do things on my period. And like, of course, <laughs> there's this idea in Chinese medicine of cycle syncing. We're actually, Elix contributed to this article in Women's Health Magazine this month Ooh. on cycle syncing. Yeah, pick it up. Our medical advisor oh. speaks all about 
how you can tailor the, what you eat, how you work out, how you care for yourself for the different phases of your cycle so that you can take advantage of like natural bursts of energy during ovulation. That's the best time to schedule like first dates to schedule important conversations because you I'm ovulating right now. Like you have a natural burst of energy. You're more just alive and focused and you want to be with people versus like when you then, you know, your kind of energy starts going down when you're in the luteal phase right before your period. That's the time you really want to eat more like cooked, nourishing foods, you know, start slowing down. And when we're on our period, most people think that they're moody and anxious and they think of it as like a bad thing but chinese medicine says when we're on our period it's actually when our we're most intuitive and so all of the things that you would normally sweep under the rug that bothers you every other day of the month you're like wait if you actually take the time to sit and reflect and tune in it can actually guide you to areas of your life where you can make big shifts and changes and so more resources on that, on Alex Healing or on our social media. But I think that's one area I'm just super excited for us to have more conversation. Yeah. I'll make sure to link to the women's health article if it's online in it the is. show notes. Perfect. Okay. So I'll link to that okay. in the show notes. But just to wrap things up, as a founder, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to start their first business? I'd say just get started, you know, start talking to people about your idea, get feedback, create a prototype, try to sell it. Don't be precious with your idea. I find that so often people talk about something forever, but then just take that first step to bring it to life because that will give you feedback and help you figure out how to iterate from there. I love that. Do you feel everyone in short, good enough is good enough. Don't yes. let perfection get in your way. But Lulu, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have an event tonight and have to run. So I appreciate your time. Everyone check out the show notes for a bunch of resources. And thanks for tuning in to Well, That Was Unexpected. Bye, Lulu. I love you so much, Carla. Take care. Bye. Bye.